Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. Uh, you know, as a parent, I was, I, was, I was thinking about this this morning. As a parent, I feel like I have a full-time job telling my, my two sons or our two sons, uh, Liam and Nixon, uh, not to touch things. If you're a parent here, you you probably understand. Amen me if you're a parent and you know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, if you're not a parent here, I don't want to make you feel bad or feel left out, but just bear with me for a few moments here. Um, I'm just going to kind of vent and rant for a little bit. With my kids, it tests my patience when we go to stores, and I'm like, don't, don't, don't touch anything. Just don't touch it. I, I don't want to pay for it. Don't touch it. Don't break it. Don't touch it. Last night, we were down in Mountain View at uh, someone's house. It's beautiful, beautiful house. And before we go in, I mean, I'm looking at this house. I'm no, I know that, like, this house, you know, I, I could never afford this house. And I could probably never afford anything in this house. And so I look at my kids in a very pastoral way. And I said, if you touch anything, I'm going to kill you. You know, like, <laughs> like, don't touch anything, you know. Uh, I, I do. I feel like there's this, there's this uh, I'm like categorically labeling things in life like, son, don't touch that, don't touch this. Even the other day we were flying back from uh, Dallas on Friday, we go into the restroom. You know, public re- men's public restrooms are some of the grossest things ever, okay? Um, and we walk into this restroom, and it was, it was just disgusting. And I'm a germaphobe, uh, in case you don't know this. Like, I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. And um, we walk in there, and I look at, at, at Nixon, and Nixon's got his backpack, and he's just, like, looking like, where is he? Gonna, I'm going to lay this on the ground somewhere. I'm like... I'm like, no, son, don't, don't do it. Don't touch anything. Don't touch that. Don't touch that. I'm just like, like calling things out and they're like, just don't touch anything. It's just, these are untouchable things. I've labeled things for my kids. Do not touch these things. Uh, I was thinking about that because in, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish culture, going all the way back to the Torah, which the Torah uh, is, is the Jewish Old Testament there, those first five, the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Old Testament, specifically in Leviticus, it, it begins to list all these things that Jewish people were not allowed to touch. Uh, these were things that were unlawful for them to touch. Uh, for a Jewish person, one of the things that they couldn't touch was they could not touch a carcass of an animal, like a dead animal. Uh, they were not allowed to touch it or they would be considered unclean. This was unlawful. They'd be, be considered unclean. And there was a process for them to go through for them to become clean again. Uh, another thing that you, that you couldn't touch is you couldn't touch a dead body. Uh, if you touched a dead body, you were considered unclean uh, in Jewish custom and tradition for a period of days. And there was a process for you to be clean again. Uh, dead bodies were untouchable. Uh, another thing, and bear with me as I say this, uh, this is the first time I've ever said this in public, but uh, someone during a menstruation cycle, that's the first time I've ever said that publicly, and I feel a little odd even saying it, but uh, in Jewish tradition and custom, you were, you were not allowed to touch someone uh, during that period of time. There were many different things that you could not touch. Uh, the list is too long for me to go through every single one of them. But one of the things that, that as you begin to read through the, the Old Testament there, you'll begin to see that one of the laws was that you could not touch a person with leprosy. A person with leprosy was viewed in that particular time as, uh, as someone that was, that was under a curse. They were, they were cursed it was probably because of sin in their life or, or some, something with them. And so this had become a disease. And this, this disease was literally, if you've ever seen someone with leprosy before, if you've ever traveled, we don't see it a lot here in America. You'll see it when you go to undeveloped and third world countries. But people will begin to lose their, their fingers, their uh, their toes, and uh, they, you begin to lose feeling in certain uh, certain parts of your body. There's, I've even read an article before where someone was just cooking. A lady was cooking food, but she had lost the sensitivity in her fingers and sliced off her fingers. And that's what was a very common thing with people with leprosy. 
And these people were, were, were labeled by their circumstance. These people were labeled by their condition, and they would be considered an outcast to society. You, you could literally be in a marriage. You could be married and have kids, and you come down with leprosy, and the, the, the law was that you had to be outcast from your family in isolation. Uh, you could no longer be touched by your spouse. You could no longer be touched by your kids. And it was unlawful for you to go and for you to touch someone. If you were to touch someone and you have leprosy, it was the law that they could actually stone you to death. And this was, this was a very, very serious condition. Th- these people with leprosy had been labeled and uh, and they, they would not only live many times in isolation as beggars, but a lot of times they would go and live in colonies, in communities with other people that shared their label. Isn't that such a picture of how life can sometimes be? You ever notice how life has, a, has this way of labeling us? And we can begin to label ourselves by our condition, by our circumstance. The Bible says right there in the first verse there, it says, a man with leprosy came to Jesus. Doesn't even give us his name. We don't know his name. All we know is his condition. All we know is his circumstance. But I was thinking about this today because I love God because God, God doesn't allow anyone or anything to label us. He is our creator. We are his creation. And because he's our creator and we are his creation, he's the only one that's qualified to label us. And he labels us as his sons and his daughters. But life has a way of labeling you based on what you're dealing with, your circumstance and what you're walking through. That's the life that we, the culture that we live in. Uh, the other day when we were doing our serve day, um, we were doing one of the outreaches that were to bring care packages to uh, home, men and women that are living in homeless situations. And we had about 100 care packages. And this is what you did. You know, we had these care packages that were filled with uh, some, some um, uh, uh, hygiene products and some food and some socks and some uh, all these sanitary items and things like that, just practical ways to meet needs. But we were gathering underneath that, I forget what it's called, but that giant arrow right down there at the Embarcadero, you know. And our team was about, I don't know, 25 people standing there. And I don't know why this bothered me, but it just did. Our, our church vehicle, the truck that had all the, the care packages in it, it pulled up, almost like a supply drop. It pulled up, and uh, when it pulled up, I noticed... And on on the boxes on the outside of it, it was labeled homeless. And I don't know why, but it's just something in me. I looked across that kind of parking lot area, and I saw many of these men and women that were in very rough situations. And it literally, I almost almost began just to to cry as I looked at them, and I looked at this box that just said homeless. And I ran over there, and and one of the guys looked at me like I was crazy because I'm like, I, I started ripping some of the, those labels off and trying to hide those. And I, I don't know why it bothered me. That may not be, seem like a big deal to you, but I've just discovered that I, I don't want to be, ever be a church that labels people. Like I don't want to ever see people as just their, their condition and their circumstance. So I, so I gathered our, our team and I said, hey, guys, listen, whenever we're having conversations out here, um, we're, we're not talking to the homeless. We're talking to our friends or our brothers and sisters that have found themselves in a circumstance of homelessness. They are not homeless. They are our brothers and our sisters. This is our city. These are, this is people in our community. They have found themselves in a circumstance and a condition, but, but, but let's never label them. Whatever a person's circumstance may be, let us always be a church that refuses to label people because God doesn't label people like that. He just doesn't do it. He doesn't label people based on their deficiency, their dysfunction, their circumstance, or their condition, or their lack. He labels them with his love with acceptance, with value, 
You are precious. You are my possessions. You are my child. That's how he labels his people. This man, he had leprosy. Um, and he walks up and he falls down on his knees at Jesus' feet. And he asks Jesus this question. He, he doesn't say, can you heal me? The very reason why this man has, he's literally, he's risking his life. Think about this. Jewish law says you couldn't, I forget how many paces you had to stay away, but you could not even approach someone that was clean if you were unclean with leprosy. So this man so believes and knows that Jesus has the power to heal. Why? Because Jesus is now gaining this renown and his reputation is that he's, he's this miracle worker and he can heal people. He can even raise people from the dead. He can, he can do miracles with food and multiply fish. And, and So this guy knows. This guy, Jesus, he has the means, the power, the resource to heal me. And so he's willing to risk his life. He could be stoned for doing this. And he rushes over there and he falls on his, on his face at the feet of Jesus. And he doesn't say can you heal me? He says, are you willing? It's a question of this. He's, he's saying, I know you can, but I want to know, do you care? I know you have the means to do this, but do you have the willingness to do this? You see, what I've discovered is that in our city and in our world, I believe there are broken people that we find at our feet, figuratively speaking. And they look at us and they see that we have the means to help. They see that we have the resources and the power. We can. We have the ability. But I think there are broken, hurting people in our world that are just wondering, are you willing to help? I know that you can, but do you care? Do you care enough to do for me what I can't do for myself? Do you care enough? Are you willing to, to get down and to lean into my story and into my pain? There are people that we find all the time in our city. I think they're wondering that question. May we be a church, I wrote down, may we be a church that has not only the ability, but the willingness to love the people that God has brought into our life. I pray that as the hurting people of our city are found at the feet of our church, asking that same question, are you willing, Sozo Church? Do you care, Sozo Church? We'll be able to respond the way that Jesus responded. Look at this, it says uh, in verse number 40, here's Jesus' response to the request. He says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then it says this, filled with compassion. I, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Filled with compassion. So Jesus is looking at this broken, hurting man at his feet that's an untouchable, that, that, that no one wants to, to, to be around, and, and he's been rejected and isolated, and he's, he's begging Jesus. He's asking Jesus. And when Jesus looks at him, he feels compassion. And then look what happens. And Jesus reached out his hand, and he touched the man. He touches him before he speaks to him. And, and, and there's something so significant about that. He touches the man. He reaches out. And he puts his hand on this untouchable. He touches the untouchable and he says, I am willing. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. It says filled with compassion. Let's talk about that for a moment. In the original language there, and, I, and I, I'm not like, I don't know how to really speak in Greek or in Hebrew, but in the Old Testament it was written in Hebrew. In the New Testament scripture was written in Greek. Uh, most of you probably don't speak Greek. Uh, if you do, that's amazing. Uh, most of you speak English or, or maybe you have a, a different language that you speak uh, as a primary language. But in the Greek language here, it's amazing because it takes those three words filled with compassion and it jams it into one word. This one word, it's, 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 it's kind of a, a weird word to say, splakazomi, splakazomi. It's like, that, what does that even mean, splakazomi? It's like, I was trying to pronounce it. I'm like, I can't even really pronounce that right. I'm just calling it splak splak is what I've been saying, splak splak. But it's great because when you begin to look at it, it's, 
it's, it's this sense and this feeling, this, the, the rabbis would say it's this feeling that you feel. It's not just like here or here. It's something you feel deep on the inside of you. It's something that you feel in your gut. It's, it's this sense of something is bothering me. Something is wrong. I'm disturbed because of what I've seen. It's, it's more than just feeling sorry for someone. The ancient writers would say that that place, when you feel that, that is the seat of your pity on the inside of you. And, and this is very graphic, and, 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 and I was reluctant to even share it, but, but it's, it's, it's what this is. When you begin to dig into that word filled with compassion, when you begin to look at that, some translations, I think maybe the King James translation calls it the bowels of compassion. And, and, and it's, it's kind of a, a, a very vivid and gross illustration. But what it's illustrating is this, is that you feel something that is something from the outside has, has now come into you and, and it's upsetting you. It's disturbing you and it's uncontrollable and you can't contain it. And he's saying compassion when you see certain situations you see how someone is living and you see the condition that you're in, they're in and you see these children that are in these situations where they have no home and no family and they're in foster care and they're bouncing from house to house and they don't even have luggage they have trash bags with their clothes in it and you see it and it disturbs you and you and you're like this is not right it's uncontrollable and it's more than just pity and sorrow you see it and you feel it and you feel a sense of responsibility like not on my watch I got to do something about this. I think about Julian. I don't know if Julian's here today, but we have one of our congregational members here. I didn't even ask permission to share this, but I'm sure he'd be fine with it. <laughs> Julian, he, his life has been changed by Jesus. He's, his life's been restored. His marriage and his family, they're flourishing here as a part of Sozo Church. And he came to me one day and he said, he said Pastor Jason, I got to talk to you. And he, and he kept, I got to talk to you, I got to talk to you today, I got to talk to you today. I mean, he was so urgent. And I, I knew this was important, I needed to speak with him. And, and so after service one Sunday, a few weeks ago, he pulls me back in the back, and we go into the teacher's lounge, and for about an hour, he just poured his heart out to me. And he says, Pastor Jason, I was with this family. It's a family of nine. It's a husband and, and wife, and they have seven children. And he said, I was with them, and, and, and these children, he said, they... I, we looked and we saw they, they, their head, they had lice all in their hair. And he said, Pastor Jason, how much does it cost to take care of something like that? $10, $20 at the, the drugstore you could get that? He was like, and I, I looked at that and, and then I, I helped this family go home. And when I walked into their house, their house was a, a, a wreck. They didn't have running water. And he said, I looked around and there's no furniture in their house. They're sleeping on the ground. He said, I walked into these children's room and I looked at it. He goes, I go, something, I... I couldn't help it. What I saw, I felt responsibility for. And what he was talking about is his compassion. He was filled with compassion. He said, not on my watch. Not on my watch. He said, Pastor Jason, I don't even know what to do, but I got to do something. I got to do something. He goes, I don't, I'm not rich. I don't have a bunch of money. I don't know a lot of people. But I know I got, I got to do something about what I've seen. So he said, I'm coming up with a plan. I was like, well, just let me know what your plan is. And we're going to figure out as a church how we can partner with you to help that family. He started some GoFundMe thing, and he's raising money to furnish, to clean out that house and to completely furnish that house, to serve and to love this family, and to set this family up so that they can flourish, they can win in life. He, here's what Julian was saying, not on my watch. Filled with compassion. Goes on and it says this in a different translation. Instead of saying filled with compassion, it says Jesus was indignant. 
I love that word. That's such an aggressive and assertive word. Compassion seems like, oh, filled with compassion. Jesus was indignant. It shows conviction. It shows that if this is my city, it's my responsibility. If these are my people, then they're my responsibility. That we can't just see people and let people stay in the condition that they are at. There's a sense of, I'm indignant and and it's my responsibility. Proverbs chapter 3 says this. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Well, here's the question. Who deserves help? I think a lot of times we, we look at people and we're like, I'm not going to give that person anything because I know what they're going to do with it. I'm not, I'm not going to help them because they're not going to be grateful. Listen, people can't take advantage of you when you freely give your advantage away. Oh, that was great. Thank you, Jesus. Never walk away from someone who deserves help. Who deserves help? I think everybody deserves help. I think everybody qualifies for our unqualified kindness. I think everyone, there's no prerequisites. There's no conditions. When we're the church, we say, we want to help you. We want to serve you. We want to love you. It says, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Watch this. Your hand. I want you to think about this, church. Your hand is God's hand for that person. Your hand is God's hand. For that family. Your hand is God's hand for the hungry, for the broken, for the homeless. Your hand is God's hand. Never tell your neighbor to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Oh, I love that. It's in, I'm indignant and I want to help and I'm filled with compassion. My prayer that I wrote in my journal was this. Lord, for our church, will you fill us with compassion for people? Holy Spirit, will you flood our hearts with the compassion that Jesus felt when he encountered hurting people during his ministry. And may our hearts be filled with compassion. May our hearts be overwhelmed with genuine concern and care for the broken and the hurting people of our city in the name of Jesus. That's what I wrote yesterday in my journal. It says he was filled with compassion. And so what does he do? Compassion cannot stop with just a feeling. That's just a little bit of sympathy. Compassion is sympathy with its sleeves rolled up. Compassion is sympathy and care and empathy with, with, with like blue jeans and some boots on. Like, we're getting to work on this. That's what it is. It's like, I'm not just going to feel this. It's got to be more than a feeling. It's got to move us into motion to do something. And so not only was Jesus filled with compassion, he reaches out his hand and he touches this man. Imagine this. There's a crowd of people around Jesus and there's an untouchable at the feet of Jesus and Jesus, I imagine he's just, he looks at everyone else and then he looks at this man. And when he reaches out his hand, everyone is on the edge of their seat. Everyone's like, oh, this is against the law. I love how Jesus breaks all the laws. He breaks all the rules. He reaches out and when he puts his hand on the man, the crowd goes oh, like this. See, Jesus, all throughout his ministry, he would heal people with just a word. One time there was someone that was in need of a miracle and they were in another town. And Jesus just sent his word. That's bad. I, I don't even have to show up. I don't even have to. I'm just going to do it from here. He's like, boom. And it ha he sent forth his word and it healed them. There's power in the words of Jesus. You know why God's word is so incredible? Because it's the very power of God. You know why it's so important for us to pray the word of God? Because when you pray the word of God, you pray the power of God. His word is powerful. Jesus could have healed this man with leprosy with just a word. 
He could have just said, be healed. And boom, he could have been healed. But Jesus gave this man something that he hadn't had in a long time. You know what it was? Dignity. Jesus reaches out to a man that has been labeled untouchable, and he touches him. I imagine this man has not felt the warmth of his wife's hand in 15 years. I imagine that this man hasn't been able to hold his daughter in his arms in a long time. Never got to high-five his son. He's never felt the warmth of a welcome in 10 to 15 years from someone reaching out their hand and shaking his hand. He's been untouched in his brokenness. And Jesus touches this man. And he's, 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 it's as if he's saying, I see you beyond, beneath your labels, I see that you are human and that you are important and that you are value, valued, that you are valuable. And he touches this man in his brokenness. What a beautiful picture of how Jesus wants to touch us beyond our pain and our circumstance. I think the church looks so much like Jesus when we see beneath the, the labels and the layers of brokenness and we just get down into the mess and the brokenness of people's lives and we just, we help them find their dignity again. We get them back to that place where they feel human again. When we were out there on the streets a couple weeks ago, there was a lady that I walked up to to give a care package to and uh, she was so dirty. She, she just looked like she had not um, had a shower in, in months. And, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, just shake her hand, hold her hand. Give her a dignity back. She didn't even want to look at me in her eyes because she was so ashamed of her condition. And I just felt like Jesus said, just give her a dignity. Just hold her hand. I'll never forget being in India in 2003, and it was one of my first mission trips. And uh, if you've ever been to India or you've ever seen pictures of India, it's a very dirty, dirty country in a lot of the places, very impoverished. Um, the things that I, I saw and that I smelled and that I was around, it was, I'd never experienced anything like it before in my life. Complete brokenness, a sense of hopelessness in some of the areas I was in, some of the slums of India. And I was with a few missionaries. That they had spent a lot of trips there. And uh, one of the guys' name was Chad Daniel. He's a, he's a dear friend of mine. And um, he's, he's a wild missionary. Missionaries are a little crazy. They, you got to be a little touch crazy. We were, with, uh, we were with a missionary last night. And hearing his stories, I'm just like, this dude is crazy. He, he's, he's definitely crazy, but in a very beautiful way, you know. But I'm hanging out with this missionary, Chad. And we're driving through these slums of India. And uh, I was a little... I was a little scared. If I'm, if I'm not, don't tell anyone that. I got, I have an image to keep up here, people. Uh, I got to come across as strong, but I was scared out of my mind. And we're driving through this area, and uh, all these people come out, and, and a lot of them, it would appear to be leprosy. They were, they had lost limbs and fingers and, and 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 stuff. But this one group of street kids came up, and uh, this one kid, I, I I caught his eye, and he appeared to have leprosy and was very dirty. And he was just, he was begging, he was reaching for the car. And so I, I grabbed some, some crackers and, and, and a Gatorade and um, I got out of the car and I, I gave it to him, handed it to him and, and he was just smiling and everything. And, and as I got back into the car, I, I reached for my Purell hand sanitizer and uh, was trying to be discreet and I was 
sanitizing my hand, and I turned around, and when I looked back, Chad had this little eight-year-old boy holding him in his arms. And he was just, he was just tickling this little boy the way a father would with his son. I just watched him holding this kid there, and they were just laughing, and it was just this moment, and I'm standing there, and I'm holding hand sanitizer in my hand. And I'm looking at Chad, and uh, before he sits him down, he just kissed him on the top of his head, and the little boy ran off. And I got in the car, and I said, Chad, I said, you just, you just held a, a boy with leprosy. I'll never forget Chad looking at me and said, Jason, he said, I, I just held Jesus. And he shared with me this scripture, and I'd read it before, but I'd never read it like this. Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, followers like us, he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite him in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? Like, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Notice Jesus didn't say whatever you felt. He said whatever you did. I want to be a church that's not just filled with compassion and fills things, but a church that's filled with compassion and does things. I love what Bob Goff said. Love does. It does. There's action to it. It wasn't enough for God to feel sympathy and compassion towards sinful, broken people on their way to an eternity separated from him. He didn't just feel uh, love for us because the Bible says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't stop there. It says, for God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son, Jesus. It's love that does. It's love with action that's tangible, that doesn't just feel but does something. Here's three reminders, and the band can come up. Three reminders about compassion that I want to leave you with you today. Here's the first one. Remember this about compassion. Choices lead, feelings follow. Choices lead, feelings follow. I could preach this point in any sermon that I preach because it's true. A lot of times we live our lives wanting the feeling first, and then we make a decision to do something. Like we don't worship until we feel like worshiping first. Uh, a lot of people, they don't stay committed in their marriage until they feel something like, I feel like I'm going to be able to commit to this person for the rest of my life. A lot of times we wait for a feeling before we make a decision. But the Bible teaches that we make decisions and we make choices and we're led by our, by our choices and our convictions. And we begin to, to do what we know is right. And then our feelings, they just catch up with where we're at. Feelings are terrible leaders. They're great followers. You let them follow you. Look what it says in this passage of Scripture, another story about Jesus. I love this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, it says this. Jesus, watch this. I've underlined. I hope, hopefully they have these words underlined that I want you to see. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages. He made a choice to go these places. Teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Notice this. First he went, then he saw than he felt. What we a lot of times want to do is we want to do it just the opposite. We want to feel something, then go see something, and then make some decisions about how we're going to try to help people. 
But the progression in Jesus' ministry was he made a choice. I'm going to go, I'm going to go in proximity to where broken people are. I'm going to go there. I'm going to get up close to brokenness. And then once I'm I'm in that proximity, I'm going to see things and then I'm going to do things. A lot of times Christians never do things. There's never acts of compassion because we're never in proximity to the pain. Or we see people around us, but we don't really see the people around us. See, there's a seeing beneath the seeing. How many people walk by by issues and problems in our city, but they don't actually see it? A lot of times we can we can walk by something so much we we become desensitized to it. We have we have a few things in our house that need work. My wife reminds me of it sometimes. That was a great spot for a laugh, but you know you could. <clears throat> Here's what I've discovered: when we first moved into our house, we're like, man, I need to fix this and this and this and this. The longer we live there, the more I walk by those things, I stop seeing them. I stop seeing the things that are broken that need to be fixed because I become familiar with it. May we never be a church of familiarity when it comes to the brokenness and pain around us. May we see what's really around us. Here's the last, I'm gonna give you two more things really quick. We gotta see people the right way. There's something you need to remember when you're doing, when you're doing ministry and you're trying to live out compassion. You gotta see people the right way. Do you know that there's gonna be times when you're gonna try to help people and they're not going to receive it? Or they're gonna, you're gonna try to help people and you're gonna to try to show people compassion and they're, uh, they're not gonna be grateful for it. Here's what you and I need to understand. This is so important. I wish I had more time to unpack this. Is that the reason sometimes that happens is because they're so hurting and so broken. Hurt people hurt people. I mean, we had some people that received those care packages when we went out a few weeks ago, but I had one guy that cursed me up and down. I thought he was gonna to try to kill me. And I was like, God bless you, my brother. And I just went the other way. You know, it's like, I ain't trying to fight nobody today. Uh, another one of our guys, he, I mean, he got cursed out. A guy got aggressive and came at him. Listen, hurting people will hurt people. I did an outreach one time at Thanksgiving, and we were, we were bringing, family to food, uh, bringing food to families that were in need. And I remember there was just one family. I, I gave them all these groceries and uh, a turkey. And, and I remember the lady looking at me, and she slammed the turkey, big old frozen turkey, slammed it back down on the table. She was like, I want a bigger turkey. I got a bigger family. I want something better than this. And at first, I remember, like, just thinking, you know what? I'm taking that turkey home with me. Like, I, I felt that at first in my flesh. Like, why aren't you grateful? Why aren't you thankful? Like, you know, like, that was my flesh. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, she's hurting. You've got to see her the right way. you got to see her the right way. She's hurting. Sometimes when you try to show people compassion, they may not receive it. They may actually resent it. They may retaliate. But you've got to see people. They're broken. They're in pain. And all we do is we continue just to do what we're supposed to do. God will work in them. God will work on them. We've got to see people the right way. And here's the last one, is you just got to remember what Jesus did for you. You got to remember what Jesus did for you. Here's the scripture. Write this one down. I'm not going to read it to you, but Luke 7, 47. Uh, read it when you get a chance. But here's one I really want to read to you, and I'm going to pray for you. This is 1 John 4, 19. These two right here support this idea. But this is the one I want to read to you. This was read at, at Jennifer and I's wedding. We love because he first loved us. That right there is probably one of the greatest summations of this whole thing. I told you I was going to give you something. Save people, serve people, found people, find people. I think it's love people, love people. People that have experienced the love of God, the unqualified love of God, the unmerited love and compassion of Jesus. It's only when you've experienced that and it's washed over you will you be filled with the compassion of Christ to then love other people. It's because he loved us first that we're able to love other people. 
And what I've discovered is that you'll never fully be able to express God's love until you first experience his love. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you so much. We thank you today for uh, this word. I pray that it would be more than just a sermon. It would be more than just a challenge, but it would be something that you could get on the inside of our heart, that we'd be a, a group of people, a community, a church filled, filled with compassion, more than sympathy, more than sorrow for someone's pain, but that we'd be filled with such a deep sense of, of burden and love and conviction that we'd be an indignant church, that we'd be a compassionate church, not just a church, but individuals that that God, that we would, we would truly love people. I pray that we would, we would have this, this would become our mantra, not on my watch. As a church, we, we make this commitment that as long as we're a church in this city, in this region, that on our watch, we're gonna do everything we can to reach out to people with the compassion of Christ, to see people the right way, to show them the love of God in real practical ways. God, we, we just say, not on our watch, not on our watch. May we sense that and feel that deep in our hearts. Lord, we love you. We thank you for that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this question today. Like, do you know Jesus? Have you ever experienced his love for yourself? Have you ever experienced the forgiveness of God? A fresh start, a new beginning in your life? Here's the good news. Is that God, he has sent his son Jesus, who laid his life down on a cross, took your place, took your punishment, took, took the penalty of our sin, he did all that and all we have to do is just acknowledge that he is the son of God that he died for us and that we need him and then we just say Jesus I need you I want to follow you and the Bible says that when we do that we just call on his name it's not like some spiritual handshake or we got to clean ourselves up first all we have to do is just say Jesus I want you I need you I, I give you my life when we do that the Bible says that when we put faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior he saves us he changes he transforms us right now, I'm not going to have you stand up or raise your hand. I just want you to do this. If that's you and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus, would you just pray this simple prayer in your own heart? Just say, say something like this. Say, Jesus, today, I give you my life. Today, Jesus, I commit my life to you. Will you forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all the things that I've done that make me feel dirty and guilty and ashamed, will you cleanse me right now? Forgive me right now? Will you change me and transform me? I ask you for a new life. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.